I'm Clay Coley with Leona Creek Cattle and Coley Beef in Inez, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I'm so glad you've taken time to join me for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. Let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, planting is winding down across Texas. I rode through West Texas and the Panhandle this week, and I did see a couple of planters running, but for the most part, planting of the 2022 spring crops is in the books. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. In a recent AgriLife meeting, Texas High Plains ranchers got some first-hand advice from people who are already making a go of it in direct beef sales. I'm James Hunt, and we'll hear from one such producer on Texas Ag Today. As the Texas drought continues and the summer heat intensifies, we'll take a look at small grains, row crops, vegetables, and specialty crops, livestock, range, and pasture conditions across the state. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that report on Texas Ag Today. This is James Dawkins reporting from Marshall in East Texas. Since last we visited, the weather hadn't changed much and benefits are really lacking in our hay production. The cattle prices are lower than the farmers like. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Planting season is winding down here in Texas. The latest Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report shows just about every crop finishing up planting for this year. Of course, corn and rice planting have been done. Cotton planting now sits at 96% complete. Peanuts now 91% planted, sorghum at the 95% mark, and soybeans at the 88% planted mark. Braden McKinnis farms in northeast Texas. He says his spring planting went really smooth this year. The weather allowed us to get in. We got in right on time. We had a week there, I think the second week of March, we had a little cold weather, wet weather spell, and we shut the planters down. And looking back, I wouldn't have done that, but that's really our only hiccup. No, we got all our intended acres planted and just had a really nice, gentle rain. After we got all our uh, post-plant herbicide and fertilizer applied, and, I mean, it, we, we had a very nice spring here. McGinnis grows corn, milo, and soybeans in northeast Texas in the Palestine-Corsicana area. There have been lots of theories bouncing around on social media on the cause of those feedlot cattle deaths in Kansas. Scarlett Hagens with the Kansas Livestock Association says you can set the conspiracy theories aside. It was just a matter of a big jump in temperature and humidity combined with no wind. Really that Friday leading into Saturday, they just saw a pretty rapid increase in temperature, about 10 to 14 degrees, almost overnight increase in temperature, uh, no wind, high humidity. 
humidity, uh, the lows only falling to around 70 degrees overnight. And that nighttime is really when cattle release some of their heat load. And when those temperatures stay that high overnight, they really can't do that. And all of that combined in a short amount of time um, led to some heat stress issues in those cattle. They didn't have time to acclimate during that short amount of time period. And Hagen says the humidity was probably one of the deadliest factors. Cattle don't handle humidity as well in a short change. Can They can acclimate to, to almost anything if you give them a little time, but that rapid increase in humidity really impacts them pretty harshly, and, um, and they're not used to that in that portion of the state. It's normally a dry heat, if you will, and uh, so when you, when you have that rapid increase in, in temperature and that, that high humidity and really not getting to cool off at night impacts them because that heat load just stays with them from day after day after day. While the Kansas Livestock Association cannot disclose any numbers, indications from feedlot consultants and media reports show that up to 10,000 head of cattle died because of the heat. There is a lot of interest among Texas ranchers in selling beef directly to consumers. James Hunt attended a recent workshop that gave beef producers some advice on getting into that business. With more and more ranchers interested in selling their own beef directly to consumers, Texas A&M AgriLife conducted a meeting in Amarillo this week to help producers learn about the economic and legal considerations involved. Along with hearing what AgriLife specialists had to say on those topics, the audience also got first-hand advice from ranchers who were already engaged in direct beef sales. One of those presenters was Megan Foote, who along with her husband, Garrett, has a stocker operation just across the state line in Texaco, New Mexico. She told me they got going in direct beef sales when the pandemic was causing meat shortages in grocery stores. Scarcity kind of led to a lot of people who, beyond what we're already purchasing their yearly holds and halves from our cattle operation, we had more people who had never done that before and never bought beef directly from the producer that were calling and wanting to make sure that they had their freezers full. Since then, the family meat business has been growing for the foots. But there have been some lessons to be learned along the way. Megan says inventory management was an early challenge. Ground beef, you end up with a lot of that every time you process one head. And so figuring out how to move some of those lower end cuts that you end up with more of because people are wanting to buy your ribeyes and your tenderloins and things like that, all of those middle meats, you'll run out of that in your inventory very quickly. So having a game plan as far as where you're going to push the surplus of those other cuts whether that be getting contracts with restaurants or other institutions or making sure that everything you're selling is in a box bundle so that everyone's getting a couple of pounds of ground beef when they buy a steak or something else. But figuring out those plans from the get-go so you don't have inventory that's just sitting there is really important. More from Megan Foote tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas farmers are hard at work finishing up both wheat harvest and spring planting. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at what's happening across the state. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report, on small grains harvesting continues throughout the Texas Plains, the Cross Timbers, and the Central Texas Blacklands, with low yields being reported. Many fields have been plowed while others have stored the harvest for next year's seed. Two row crops where the northern high plains has had heavy rainfall recently, which led to some cotton and corn acres being destroyed. Other areas continue planting despite the lack of moisture. 
On fruits, vegetables, and specialty crops, pecans and watermelon are doing well in the southern high plains. Livestock range and pastures in the northern high plains. Recent rains have helped improve those fields. Topsoil and subsoil conditions are very short due to the lack of moisture. Range and pasture conditions are rated 70% very poor to poor. Other crop conditions vary widely as the Texas drought continues and the summer heat intensifies. 66% of the corn crop is rated good to fair. 70% of the cotton is good to fair. On peanuts, 63% of the crop is rated good to fair. Rice crops are 91% in the fair to good category. Grain sorghum is uh, at 64% uh, in the uh, good and fair categories. Soybeans are 85% fair to good across soybean country. On the flip side, just as range and pastures are in very poor to poor conditions, winter wheat rated 83% poor to very poor, and oats rated 78% poor to very poor across the state of Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Dry weather is cutting into hay production in East Texas. James Duncan has an update from Marshall. Here in East Texas, since last we talked, the weather has not changed other than getting just a little bit hotter. It's still dry. Our producers are still hurting. Tomatoes are really slow right now. The first batch that came in was really good, but we're just dragging up now. Many farmers run into uh, the bottom end rot also, so that's a difficult situation to overcome. Melons are slowed down. The corn crop was highly damaged throughout the drought season, and we're still in a drought right now. Now the hay been good cuttings on that first cutting, but we're going to be lacking in the second. No rain, no need to put out that expensive fertilizer if you're not going to get the moisture. So we're dragging a little bit behind, and the cattle prices took a dip. And boy, we're just kind of hanging a lip right now, but it'll all come back before the summer's over with if we can just get the rain. James Duncan reporting from East Texas for Texas Ag Today. In just a few weeks, the Texas Dove Hunters Association will give away a new shotgun. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details on how you can enter to win coming up on Texas Ag Today. And controlling internal parasites is a huge challenge for Texas sheep and goat producers. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Controlling internal parasites is a huge challenge for Texas sheep and goat producers. Dr. Bob Judd looks at the latest control recommendations from Texas A&M. Prevention of this parasite rather than curing it is recommended. 
This parasite cannot be eradicated, but the goal is to control and prevent clinical signs. Sheep and goats have an immunological ability to expel internal parasites and suppress egg laying, although sheep are more effective than goats. For this immunity to be effective, the animals must be on a good nutritional program as animals on low-quality diets have decreased immunity. One method of controlling the parasites is using a technique called famancha that was developed in South Africa. This technique involves using a color eye chart to determine degree of anemia in the animals, and only animals that are anemic are treated, thus reducing the number of treatments, which reduces resistance. Strategic deworming is another option for treating parasites, and this involves treating the animals when the parasites are concentrated in the animal, and in Texas, this would be after the first hard frost and before spring cleanup. This targets the hypobiotic larvae, so to be effective, a product labeled to kill inhibited L4 larvae should be used. Some recommend treating the animals 30 days before or after lambing and kidding, as this helps the most susceptible animals, but you must make sure the dewormers are approved for pregnancy and nursing. To determine the parasite burden, the best option is to perform fecal egg counts to determine the level of parasitism. Two weeks after deworming, the fecal egg counts can be checked again to make sure the dewormer used was effective. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Dove Hunters Association is giving away a new shotgun. Jessica Domel tells how you can win it in today's wildlife report. Time is running out for Texas dove hunters who would like to be entered into the Banded Bird Challenge's early bird drawing. The Banded Bird Challenge is hosted each year by the Texas Dove Hunters Association. Bobby Thornton, co-founder of the association, joins us for more on the challenge. It's a research program conducted on Eurasian collar dove. The Eurasian collar dove is an invasive species to Texas. It's not one that has a season to its own by federal restrictions or federal guidelines. So we want to conduct an in-field study. There are some good studies out there on the life expectancy of these birds and things like that, but we want to do an in-field study that tells us where these birds are headed, why they're moving, and how far do they move and if they move. Texas Parks and Wildlife does a tremendous job administering the federal program for white wing and mourning dove, but the invasive species of Eurasian collar dove isn't being addressed from an in-field perspective, so that's kind of where we have come in to take on that responsibility. Each year, the association places orange bands on Eurasian collar doves and re-releases them. As hunters bag the birds and report the bands, the association keeps track of which birds were found where and when so they can learn more about the invasive bird's habits and the potential impacts on native species. Dove hunters have until July 15th to register for the challenge for a chance to win this year's early bird prize, which is a new shotgun. The drawing will take place July 16th. The Banded Bird Challenge kicks off September 1st. All dove hunters interested in participating must register by August 31st. You can enter at bandedbirdchallenge.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's time for a look at the markets. Jessica will be back with a complete look at Thursday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Attention farmers and ranchers ages 18 to 35. 
Texas Farm Bureau has an amazing opportunity to highlight individual achievements, discuss complex agricultural issues, share your Texas Ag story, and be rewarded. Full-time producers can apply for the Outstanding Young Farmer and Rancher Contest for a chance to win a $60,000 prize package. Part-time producers and those individuals involved in other ag industries can participate in the Excellence in Agriculture Contest for a chance to win a $15,000 prize package. Actively contributing and growing in agriculture and the Texas Farm Bureau has its benefits, like cash prizes and recognition for a job well done. For more details and an application, visit texasfarmbureau.org. Applications are due August 4th. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Live cattle traded lower for the second day in a row Thursday. June live cattle were down 87 cents to 135.25. August live cattle down a dollar five to 133.87. October live cattle were down a dollar seven to 140 even. The feeder cattle market traded higher for much of the day Thursday due to corn trading lower. August feeder cattle were up a dollar seventy to 174.85. September feeder cattle were up $1.55 to $176.85. October feeder cattle were up $1.32 to $178.62. Box beef was lower, choice down $1.79 to $264.78. Select was down $0.96 cents to $245.03. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble and Henry Pickett from Abilene Livestock. We ended up with a little over 1,600 total cattle with 575 packer cows and replacement cattle. Looked like to me the packer deal's still holding pretty good, these high-yielding packer cows. Some of them were up in the mid-90s. Packer bulls is up to $1.20. Got a little softer on the yearlings maybe two to five. The light calves are still pretty stout. We have some 350s bring a 220. Heifer mates bring buck 80. So it, it's still pretty good out there. I don't know where they're going with them, but they're still a pretty good demand. Do you know of anything for this next go-round? Uh, we've got another deal of uh, 50 or 60 cows, probably about half of them be uh, younger cows that could go back to the country, breads and pears, and just a few of these uh, calves coming to town a little bit lighter just to try to save the condition on some of these cows. All right. Well, we'll touch base with you uh, right before the sale this next Tuesday. In the meantime, tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Henry Pickett. Here at the barn, we can be reached at 325-673-7865. Our, my cell number is 940 and we will not have a uh, sale the week of the 4th. All right. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Neighbor looks to me like that's it for walking the pens. I'm Larry Marble. We appreciate you coming down the lane every day to have a glass of iced tea or a cup of coffee with us. We're a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. And, neighbor, I like doing this so much I'll do it again tomorrow. Good day. Despite strong demand and strong pork cutout values, lean hogs traded lower on Thursday. July lean hogs down $3.30 to $108.55. August lean hogs down $4.65 to $103.67. Analysts say that decline likely due to slightly slower processing speeds, raising questions about consumer demand. Block and barrel cheese were unchanged for the second day in a row Thursday. 
rye, block at $2.10, barrel at $2.17. Dry whey hit its lowest point since January 4th. It fell 2.75 cents to 47 cents on Thursday. June Class 3 milk fell 3 cents to 24.28 a hundredweight. July Class 3 milk was down 11 cents to 23.44. We saw triple-digit losses in the cotton market on Thursday due to fears of a recession. July cotton fell 700 points to 136.32. December cotton fell 655 points to 101.52. As I mentioned when we were talking about feeder cattle, corn did sell lower on Thursday. Analysts say there was a bit of selling pressure and there's rain in the forecast and more moderate temperatures expected in other parts of the corn belt. July corn down 21 and a quarter to 746 and three quarters. September corn down 35 and a quarter to 666 and three quarters. December corn down 38 and a quarter to 655 and a half. Wheat fell Thursday due to some spillover pressure from soybeans and corn. That is the fourth day in a row that we've seen losses in the wheat market. July hard red wheat fell 34 and a quarter to 1005. September corn fell 35 to 1010 and three quarters. July soybeans fell 59 and a half Thursday to 1593 and a quarter on a more moderate and wetter forecast over the next six to 10 days. July natural gas down 61 cents to 623. August natural gas down 58 cents to 628. Oil fell after some volatile trading on Thursday. Reuters reports that investors are weighing the risk that U.S. interest rates could trigger a recession and cut fuel demand. August crude oil down $2.02 to 104.17 a barrel. September crude oil down $2.57 to 101.42 a barrel. The Dow rose 28 points Thursday to 30,512. The S&P 500 was up 15 points to 3,775. The Nasdaq was up 112 points to 11,165. Well, that wraps up this look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Be sure to join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Dolmel. I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.